0: Let's pray. Lord God, whether we come in here or in another part of the building where we can, I gather for sunscreen, we ask that you might help us to hear what you have to say to us. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. Help us to respond. In Jesus' name, Amen. An English teacher is desperately trying to help a particularly difficult pupil. And this pupil just doesn't seem to be able to retain anything he's taught. The teacher has tried everything. One-to-one tuition, extra homework. Nothing seems to work, and he says, "I don't know why you bother with me. I'll never pass. I'm a hopeless case." Can we get the other? This one's cutting in, and I, and it's fully, say is fully charged. He says, "I don't know why you're trying to help." He says, "I'm, "I'm a hopeless case." The teacher says, "I don't believe in hopeless cases." If you just keep at it, we'll get there. But the boy replies, but everything you teach me goes in both ears and out the other. And the teacher says, what do you mean it goes in both ears and out the other? You've only got two ears. But which he says, see, I'm hopeless at maths as well. We've been spending time the last few weeks, meeting Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Last week, if you were here or if you caught up online, you might remember that we talked about Jesus calming the storm. That the disciples had seen Jesus do lots of amazing things, but then they faced a storm. They were, Jesus was fast asleep, and they got into a panic. And uh, there was would this be the time when he comes up with something that even Jesus can't handle? But Jesus stills the storm and leaves them wondering, just who is this? Even the wind and the waves are bad. Well, this morning we pick up the story as they land on the other side of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. But although the setting and the environment are very different, we're actually picking up on similar things. As we walk through the story, we'll see that Everything in this situation seems to be set up to make it as difficult for Jesus or as hopeless as possible. Everything seems set against him. Everything about the man whom Jesus heals here seems to be utterly hopeless. And the question is, could Jesus do something even with this? And I suppose it's a passage which has potential to give massive encouragement. But it also comes with something of a warning, and we're going to touch on both of those this morning. Of the various accounts we have in the Gospels of Jesus and encountering demons, this is the longest and the most detailed. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee, and he's in new territory. Other than the time he spent in Egypt as an infant, this is the first time we read of Jesus in what was predominantly non-Jewish territory. He lands in an area called the Decapolis, which is sort of in this region here, and he uh, it literally means 10 cities, although nobody's really quite agreed on which 10 cities made it up, but uh, there you go. We, but you might gather from the fact that they were farming pigs in the area, that is not particularly Jewish. This was a region that was directly ruled by the Romans, and it had been settled during the Greek Empire, and it had remained very Greek in its culture, it was mainly Greek or Gentile people who lived there. It was an area that was steeped in Greek culture, it had lots of Greek temples, they were worshipping Greek gods, And there's even some suggestion that it might have been a center for emperor worship, by which I mean worshiping Caesar as a god. And the reason I think that is because pigs were particularly associated with the emperor cult. And the farming of pigs on a really quite large scale suggests that they were used in one of the temples, or at least they were under control of A large, important institution or person. Because the average panther wasn't going to have a private herd of 2,000 pigs. And that's important for what happens later. But have you ever heard of a place being described as godless? It's a godless place. Well, from the disciples' point of view, if they were ever going to think of a place as godless, this is the kind of place they have in mind. Everything about this place to them was as godless as a god The territory, the paint, the religion, none of it kosher. All of it would have been considered unclean by Jesus and his disciples. And that's before you throw in a man, an impure spirit, who comes rushing out towards Jesus, shouting out lives among the tombs which were considered a favourite haunt for demons. And what's more, given what's just happened before, because Jesus is set off on the Sea of Galilee by evening, the chances are this incident probably happens at night when demons were supposed to be at their most active and powerful. And we're given a lot of information about this guy's case history. Every detail of the story builds upon the picture of just how hopeless the situation was. Society had tried everything to cope with him, but was getting nowhere. The demons had got such a grip on him that no one could control him. They tried everything to restrain him, their children hand and food, nothing worked. He simply tore the chains apart or broke the arms of the face. Everything about what is happening here seeks to diminish humanity and cries out and harms himself with stones. And when Jesus challenges the demon for a name, it comes back My name is Legion, for we are men. And Legion doesn't want to let go. When Jesus arrives, a man may throw himself at Jesus' feet. But a, initially, the first thing he says is, what do you want here? It's, it's a kind of, mind your own business. Get over to your own side of the river, or sing. So Jesus comes alone into a godless territory. He's faced with a legion of demons, all of his own. And yet, with a word, he comes out on top. They had the power to break the chains anyone else put on them. But Jesus... At the power to break the hold they had on the man. With Jesus there is no such thing as a hopeless case. Everything is waged against them, But Jesus still brings healing to the man. What do we do with such a story? We have a wide range of views of how we interpret these stories. I suspect there's a wide range of views even within this room. But however we approach it, I think there's a number of lessons that we can draw from it. One is in the name. Legion. We are men. A legion was a group of up to 6,000 soldiers. So There's a lot going on in this guy. There's a complexity to the issues facing this man amongst the times. And it's a warning, I think, in us to assume against we know what somebody else's problem is. As a society, we're very quick to pass judgment on others. We think people should be able just to just pull themselves together or get their act together. You ever heard somebody say, ah, oh, the problem with them is, or their problem is, maybe you said it yourself. Well, maybe their problem is a bit more difficult than we think. Maybe they're a bit more complex than we think. And it can be difficult when we've tried to help someone, only to see it thrown back in our face to see our best efforts ignored or maybe just when we thought "Oh, we were getting somewhere suddenly they're right back where they started or possibly even worse than before. And we can fail fully to grasp the complexity of the issues or the problems others face. We can fail to understand the power those things that have them in their grip. And it should make us a little more careful before we pass judgment. And it may fail that we reach the point where it's all just us, just hopeless. What's the point? It's beyond us. But another message to draw out of this is that even when the complexity is beyond us, is not beyond God. And nor is anywhere truly God's. There is nowhere that God will refuse to go. In fact, Jesus enters right into the heart of what most would have considered enemy territory at so many levels to reach this man. Because that is the God he's come to reveal. The light of the well, the steps down into darkness. The God who is the one who is the business of reconciling all things. The one that heard us the message translates Colossians 1.5. All the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms get properly fixed. Fit together in vibrant ornaments, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. However, it may not be quite so easy as some seem to draw too many comparisons in the story. As we read the story, I often try to put myself in the picture, try to identify with one of the characters. I'm not sure too many of us would be desperately rushing to put ourselves in the position of the man down amongst the tombs. But that doesn't mean we don't know anything of the experience of being in the grip of something that controls us. Maybe fear, which stops us living as freely as we can. Maybe an addiction or a habit that we feel powerless to do anything about. Maybe it's you that sense that there's stuff about us that we would dread anyone else knowing. Anything that would make them think less of us. And it all keeps us in a grip. Stops us leading the life and all the fullness that Jesus talked about. Maybe we don't even fully grasp why we do what we do, why we are as we are, and maybe we get to the point where we think, oh, it's all hopeless, what's the point? And despair of God reaching that part of us too. See, we too are part of the broken, fragmented, dislocated parts of the universe that Jesus came to embrace and make hope. The message of scripture is that even though everything seems set against Jesus, wrong place, wrong time, wrong environment, set in a situation where the demons were under strong, strongest, up against a whole legion of them jesus was still able to bring hope and healing a new start to set this man on a new path to give him a new identity a new story to tell and what a story it's interesting this guy wants to come with Jesus to be with him, to be one of his disciples. But for whatever reason Jesus says no, he sends him back home to his own people. But he entrusts him with a message just tell people what God's done for you. It's interesting. He offers no formal training, no Torah teaching, no Bible study, nothing. Jesus sends this guy out to do stuff that he hasn't even entrusted his closest disciples with yet. Years before the world will have heard of a guy called the Apostle Paul, this nameless guy who had previously been naked, screaming and hurting himself amongst the grave, became the first missionary to the Gentile world. And he went out empowered with nothing but a story of the difference Jesus made to his life. That's all I mean. The greatest argument for the power of God is when he changed his life. What's interesting. is those parts of us that I spoke about earlier. Those parts of us that make us feel so unworthy. Those parts that keep us from the life to the full that Jesus spoke about. That are the bits that God uses as the raw material. In Jesus' hands they're taken to give us a new identity new story, to set us on a new path. He takes even those parts and uses them for his glory and will place them in his hands. Of course, there's a couple of bits of the story that I haven't dealt with. pigs, and the effect the miracle had on the local community. I mean, Jesus shows remarkably scant regard for the pigs, or the owners, or the impact of the various temples that they were being raided for. But I said, look at my mum, notice Jesus doesn't drag the pigs into the water, it's leeching that does that. We might, but we might struggle with this man's story. And we might struggle with it a bit more than Jesus, who was a Jewish man, wouldn't have eaten the pigs anyway. But 2,000 pigs is a lot of bacon sandwiches, isn't it? But in the midst of it, we can lose sight of the miracle. And it's here that we come to the water. Because the outcome of this encounter was that a wild, naked, scary man has been redeemed. Sealed, clothed, sensible, seen. And that should have been a cause for rejoicing in that community. But it wasn't. You'd have thought, great, this guy can do that. I should urge Jesus to stay. Instead, when they hear about what happened and what happened to the pigs, where did go? And here we need to be a bit careful too. There's a complexity here too. But not mistakenly a part of it. It was the main cause of their us- of their upset. It was the effect on their economy, and it would have been sizable. Two thousand pigs, big bucks. Were the pains and their value more important than the man? The community faced with the choice of the swine or the man. The swine, it sings one hands style. Throughout most of the story, they were treated better than the man. See, we can well see change. We can even pray for change. It's so almost the risk that when it hits our pockets, we won't accept them. On a, recently, on a reasonably regular basis, I do surveys for the polling agency, UGA. and They only take a few minutes at a time. I don't really think that hard about them, so whenever you see a YouGov poll, realize that most of them are probably done by people like me who don't really think that hard about the questions, that much. But one of the things I have noticed from these polls It's the difference between something that is kind of an out-there kind of principle. Something like saving the planet. And then something that will come to individual action. That might actually cost us a bit of money. And people are much keener on the one one than they are on the other. And And I'm not knocking them. Because surely I know full well that there are times I know better. But it the question, do we want the world more like God created it to be? And will we accept it, even when it's less convenient for us? And that's a warning for us as we approach this passage. Because we may not feel we're as redeemable as the man living amongst no, us. Whatever you do, you do, Jesus, I you. But maybe we don't feel that. And maybe not everything that has us in its grip is obviously bad. Comfort as much as anything else can stop us embracing the life God has for us. The chains might not feel so harsh, but they can just be, a, be just as strong The outcomes may not necessarily be so obviously harmful. But they're very real. Nonetheless. And they can be even more enduring. Because they're harder to spot. It can be harder for God to reach us. We don't even acknowledge the issue or it could be hard for God to reach us when we just don't really want it, enough. But with God there are no hopeless cases. The Jesus who had the power to release legion from all about him and set him on a new path, a new life, a new identity. The, the, the Jesus that made him a new creation do the same with us. So may we have the compassion to bear with those whose complexity is greater than we understand. May we too recognize that that complexity is never beyond Jesus and keep seeking God in prayer for real change. But may we too acknowledge that each of us in our own way and be embracing things which keep us from the life that God has for us that can hold us in their grip and cause us to resist change. And may we trust Jesus with all of that and with his power, with his grace, with his love. And may we know, however far we've come, however late in the day faith however set we are in our ways, then we are not beyond the reach of a loving God. who can set us on a new path, make us a new creation, give us a new identity, a new life, and a whole new story. Grace of peace